as we turn to God's word, let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you that you revealed your love, mercy and grace to us in the sending of your own Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, to be our Saviour, to die in our place on the cross and to rise again. We thank you that now you continue to reveal yourself to us through your holy, eternal and inspired word. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, this day, and teach us new, great, unsearchable truths. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want this morning now to complete our series that we've been thinking about over this last number of weeks from Romans chapter 5 to Romans chapter 8. And we finish with the last number of verses, verses 28 to 39 of Romans chapter 8. This is a, a passage which is very frequently used at a time of death and of funerals. It's a passage which I'm sure many of you may remember that I share so often at a time when a loved one has died or sometime over the period of death and the funeral service. It reminds us of this great theme of God's plan and there being no separation. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, verse 28 says, and it finishes with those words at the end of uh, the chapter which says that I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor things present, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God as is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our overall theme for our study this morning is God's plan, no separation. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, we learn first of all that we have peace, we have access to God's presence and we have the future hope of God's glory, all because we trust in Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which you now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We were reminded that we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've learned that God demonstrated his love for us, for we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we're God's enemies, he reconciled us through the death of his son. We have learned that we now have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That those who are in Adam, who received and inherited disease or sin from Adam, have through faith in Jesus Christ become righteous, right with God. We're declared no longer guilty of sin and we're freed and freed from sin, its power and its penalty. Although we may live with its presence within our lives, yet we learn that God still continues to love us. But we've learned also that even though we've been adopted by God's Holy Spirit, into God's family and become heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. We also will share in his sufferings in order we share in his glory. So we learn that, yes, ordinary daily life has suffering, grief, trials and tribulations all the time. And we groan, we look forward to the day when we will free from all these things. Indeed, we saw that all creation, like ourselves, looks for the day when we'll be freed from the present bondage to suffering and decay. We've learned that the God's Holy Spirit who brought us into God's family 
is also one who continues to intercede for us just as Jesus Christ does before God's throne of grace. And so today, as we look into this passage, and we see how God has a plan for us, his plan is not for us to be separated from God, that God is present with us at all times, nothing separates us from his great love in Christ Jesus. So in verses 28 and 29 we read, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we learn that God is called God's providence, God's sovereign rule over us, that God is in control of everything. Paul says, we know, or we should know, that God knows all things about us, because he created us, he formed us, right within the womb. So God knows about us from the inside out. He knows about our situations, our circumstances, our trials, our predicaments. He knows where we are right at this moment. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. So those of us who trust in him, God is working for our good, for our good and for his glory. Note that in all things, whatever is happening in your life, God is working for the good. You may say, how is God working in my situation? How is it for my good? Where is God in the midst of all this chaos, this mess, this seemingly impossible situation, this insoluble problem? There's no end in sight. Will it ever end? I feel I'm at my wit's end. Why does this ever happen to me? How can God be in the midst of it all? But yet we know that God is there and all things God works for the good of those who love him. So those of us who say we love him, God is working for our good to draw us deeper and closer to him. Never to separate himself from us or us from him. We read uh, this morning in our, in our Bible readings about Joseph, the dreamer, who because of the envy and jealousy, bitterness and hatred of his spiteful brothers, so was sold into slavery in Egypt. There, Joseph was now separated or isolated from his father, from his family, from his home and from his culture. He is put into a foreign place. He is living as a stranger or an alien in a foreign land. He was separated in many ways, but yet we read he was never separated from God, that God was always with him. He was a slave, yet he was put in charge of Potiphar's household. There he was falsely accused, as we know, by Potiphar's wife. He was imprisoned. He spent 12 years in prison. And yet, in the midst of all these things, Joseph stayed close to God. We never read about Joseph's bitterness or complaining against God, against his situation or circumstances. At all times, we read that Joseph was seen to be someone who loved the Lord and the Lord was with him. In Potiphar's house, in prison, and before Pharaoh and his brothers. The Lord, in chapter 39, we read, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care, everything he owned. And when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he said, How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? In prison, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. 
he showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the prison warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Remember how he interpreted the chief butler and the chief baker's dreams, those who were in prison because of Pharaoh, and the butler was released. The baker was put to death, as we know, by the interpretation of Joseph's dreams. Pharaoh had a dream, and the butler, after two years, remembered Joseph, who had interpreted his dream, and spoke to Pharaoh, and told him about Pharaoh, and Pharaoh summoned Joseph, who interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And we know what the result of that was, that Joseph was released and became the chief person in Egypt, next in line to Pharaoh, what we would call today the Prime Minister. But we know when Joseph came before Pharaoh, he pointed to God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph always honoured and glorified God in his words and by his deeds. He always knew God's presence with him. He knew that in all things, as he would say later, God was working for his good because he loved God. We know that uh, then the great famine broke out in the land. And we read in our reading this morning how there had only been two years of famine when Joseph's brothers came down to Egypt because they were starving and they needed food in order to save and protect their family. And Joseph was able to turn around and say that this had been for God's good purposes. They weren't to be angry or bitter against him, nor to be afraid of him, because he said, God had sent him ahead of you to save lives, to preserve you for a remnant on the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. It was not you sent me here, but God. Joseph could look back and he saw the dreams Remember the sun, the moon, the stars bound down to Joseph, the sheaves of corn bound to Joseph. This was now God having speaking early in Joseph's life with the plan he had for Joseph to be in Egypt to preserve his, his family and all the people of Israel. Because God had Israel as his chosen people in the future to be a special nation. And through them, Jesus Christ would come because that was part of God's plan of salvation. So Joseph knew he'd come in God's plan and God's purpose down into Egypt. All the suffering, all the trials, all the tribulation, all the separation, all the false accusations against Joseph, God had been with Joseph and worked through them to bring it to this part of God's plan and purpose for the people of Joseph's family and eventually for the nation of Israel. When he was uh, father was dead the brothers again were afraid Joseph would now get his own back on them and Joseph turned around and said don't be afraid am I in the place of God you intended harm to me but God intended for good to accomplish what has now been done the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid I provide for you and your children and he reassured them spoke kindly to them so Joseph again reassures them that God had a plan and purpose so Joseph, in his life, could see God's plan and purpose. So this verse here underlines the life of Joseph and underlines for us our lives. 
and all things God works for good to those who love him. Whatever our suffering, our circumstances and our situations, how difficult they may seem and how impossible or insoluble they may be, know that God is with us. God is there and no situation, nothing is impossible for God. He is using it for our good and for his glory so that we can witness to God's goodness, loving kindness, his presence, protection, all things we needed in our particular situation. We can witness to it and all of us can perhaps see it in our lives as we live out a life of dependence and trust in God. Remember, James said, the testing of faith develops perseverance. Per- perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. First Peter says, though now you for a little while may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God's good purpose and plan was, first he demonstrated his love towards us in sending Christ Jesus to die for us, that when we are God's enemies, he sent Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and through his resurrection. So here, Paul says, all things are working together for good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's purpose is seen here in five stages of salvation. And at each stage, it's reminding us that it's God, not us, not our merits or our obedience. All that is in our lives, God is doing for our good, for his glory, and because it's God's initiative, it's God's favour or God's grace. It's not something we deserved because of our sin, but he did it because he loved us. He wanted to restore us, reconcile us. He wanted to break down the barrier wall that separates us, that barrier wall of sin. He wanted to rebuild lives, renew and establish a relationship with us again, to reconcile us to himself. The thing that did it was sin separated us from God. But God loved us and he wanted to no longer be separated from us by sin, but to provide a means of our salvation. He says, first of all, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son, that we might become the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan and purpose is we might be conformed to the likeness of his Son. We might become like Jesus Christ. We might become members of his family. So God before the creation of the world had a plan for this world. God didn't sort of say, what am I going to do now when Adam and Eve sinned? He didn't turn around and say, what's plan B? God had a perfect plan from before the creation of the world, when mankind would sin, when mankind would destroy his free gift of free will that God had given him. God had a plan of purpose. He foreknew all that was going to happen and he had his plan and purpose, culminating in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, and then culminating in us being conformed, becoming like Jesus Christ, when we trust in Jesus Christ. His purpose, his plan was to have us conformed to Jesus Christ. God wants us to be like Jesus Christ. And so that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Before he sent Christ, he had made that decision. His plan and purpose was that all mankind would be saved. All mankind would have the free will to 
accept or reject God's offer of salvation, Jesus Christ. God is not a God of favoritism, deciding one person should be saved or no one should be or should not be saved. God desires all be saved and come to a knowledge of Him. In Colossians chapter three, Paul says, "Close yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience." All these qualities are qualities which Jesus Christ had. God's plan and purpose, we read in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and verse 4 onwards. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the graces of God's grace. He lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mysteries will accord his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. So God has blessed us in every way by sending Jesus Christ. That was his plan, his purpose. And through Jesus Christ's death, we would have redemption by his blood, forgiveness of our sins, and he would one day reach all things in fulfillment when Jesus Christ would return again. So God's plan and purpose, he knew before time, his plan and purpose, his predestined, predetermined will was that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and he sent Jesus Christ to begin that process. But also then God had to call us. <clears throat> For those he foreknew, he also predestined the deformed image of his son, Jesus Christ. He may become the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. So God then calls us to become his followers. God must issue a call to us. The Holy Spirit comes into our life to convict us of sin, righteousness of judgment. When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, come and follow me. Matthew and John and James, Peter and Andrew heard the call and responded and came to follow him. We are called to become disciples of Jesus Christ, to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him daily. We're to lead a life in which God rules supreme, no longer us. Sin no longer has mastery over our lives. So God calls away from sin 